All right, well, welcome everybody today to, to church. Uh, I know some of you are now back from your, your holiday time. It's good to have you back again. And uh, if you're celebrating today, your mothers, I hope that you moms are going to have a great day today. If you notice coming in today, if you haven't already received it, actually you probably haven't because, you know, at the end of the service, everybody always gets a meal because it's around lunchtime. Well, today we're adding a, a little piece of cake for all you mothers just to say, uh, God bless you and thank you for all that you do. And uh, we, we pray that God will continue to bless you and your family. So everybody here today, all you moms here, happy Mother's Day. Let's, let's give the Lord a thank clap offering for all of our mothers that are here today. Amen. 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 God bless you. God bless you. Good to see everybody. All right, well, today we're going to go back into the book of Romans. Last week, we started talking about the life of Abraham. His life that was filled with faith. And his life actually serves as a wonderful example for all of us who have faith in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to continue this today. This all began a couple of weeks ago because Paul made a wonderful statement in Romans chapter 3. He says, we conclude that a man is justified by faith. Apart from any works, Apart from any deeds of, of his, uh, the deeds of the law, apart from works, man is justified, a woman is justified by trusting in Jesus Christ. And with that, he now goes to a, a great example of what that kind of faith actually looks like. What does it mean to have faith in God? And so Paul brings us to Abraham. Abraham, the, the father of the Jewish people the beginning of the Jewish people, and also the beginning of circumcision, a very important topic among the Jews. And so Paul says, first of all, last week, he said, look at Abraham. He had what we call saving faith. It was simple. The Bible just says Abraham believed God. So simple. It was miraculous, that kind of faith, because God justifies the ungodly. That's a miracle. And Paul also says it was a blessed faith because the Bible says blessed are all those whose sins have been forgiven. That kind of faith, a pure faith, simple, miraculous, a blessed faith. It is a faith that is blessed because we say God has not only forgiven me of my sin, he has forgotten that sin. What an amazing salvation we have. So that was Abraham's saving faith. And today we're going to look at Abraham's obedient faith. Now what do we mean by that? What is it that he had obedient faith? Well, that's today's sermon message. Abraham's faith. So turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 4. Just a few verses today, verse 9 to 12. And we're going to consider today Abraham's obedient faith. All right, if you, if you have that with you, would you stand with me if you would, and let's read this together. Paul now says, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, 
but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. Though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision, to those who are not only circumcised, but also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Amen. You may be seated. So the Jews will look at somebody like Abraham and say, a man is saved when he believes in God and when he is circumcised. It has to be faith plus the work in order to be saved. And this was actually something the early church had to deal with because as they were going out into all the world, just like Jesus told them, preaching the gospel to every nation, all the Gentile people who had no idea about the laws of God and circumcision, yet believing they were saved. But then when, when reports came back to Jerusalem that, listen, all the Gentile people, they're believing in Jesus and getting saved. Many of the Jews who believed in Jesus, they said, well, wait a minute. They can't be saved unless they are circumcised. So we need to tell them, yes, have faith in Jesus, but you've got to be circumcised also, otherwise you're not saved. And so the church had to come together and say, what do we do about this? Many Jews are saying these things. What is the conclusion? Well, after Peter spoke, after Paul spoke, after James spoke, they decided, preach the gospel to all the Gentiles and tell them it is by faith alone. It is because of grace and by faith alone that we are saved. And we will not make people then get circumcised and make people do all these other things in order to be saved. No, tell them by grace, through faith in Jesus, we are saved. And so those kinds of Jews who said, hey, you believe in Jesus? That's nice, but you got to get circumcised now. Otherwise, you're not saved. Those kinds of people were also in Rome in the church of Rome. And so now Paul has to speak directly to them, teaching them a man is justified by faith. And so let's look at Abraham's faith, again, as a wonderful example to all of us. And let's consider the fact that Abraham's faith was an obedient faith. Let's look at the scriptures once again. We're going to begin, first of all, with the root of faith. The root of of faith. In chapter 4, verse 10, Paul talking about Abraham, he says about Abraham's faith and his salvation, how then was it accounted to Abraham? Was it while he was circumcised that God said, now you are righteous? Or was it while he was uncircumcised? And Paul answers the question, not while circumcised, but uncircumcised. So the question is, at what point in Abraham's life did God credit him with righteousness? Or we can say it today, we can ask this, at what point was Abraham saved? At what point was he a saved man? When he got circumcised 
or before he was circumcised. And so Paul is now sort of saying, before you start preaching a man must be circumcised, let's go back to the scriptures and let's see what the Bible actually says about the salvation of Abraham. And so he says to them, as I'll say to you, open your Bibles, if you will, and let's go to Genesis chapter 17. I want to show you two portions of scripture to help answer this question. When was Abraham saved? First, let's go to Genesis chapter 17. And if you don't have that with you today, I will, I will put it up on the screen. Actually, I'm not putting it up on the screen. Open your own Bibles. <laughs> I forgot it, that's why. Genesis chapter 17. And let's look for a moment at verse 10 and 11. This is God speaking to Abraham. He says, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and you and your descendants after you. And every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And the Jew would say, see, that's when he was saved. Not only did he believe in God, but then God told him, get circumcised. That's when it happened. Paul, what are you doing? You are proving yourself wrong. You want us to look at that scripture? That's what it says. God commanded Abraham to be circumcised, and we declare that on that day, he was saved. And if you continue on in chapter 17, it does say that on that day, and Abraham was 99 years old at the time, that Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael was circumcised and then all the men, the servants, and all the people of his household were circumcised. So the Jew would look at that and say, see, Abraham was saved after he was circumcised. But then Paul says, hold on. Now I want you to look at another portion of Scripture. I want you to go back two chapters. I want you to take your Bible and just flip it back one page. Now, if you don't have a real Bible with you today, you're not going to have as much fun as I do with this. If you have a phone or an iPad, it's going to be a, a swipe this way, a swipe this way. But go back two chapters. If you have a real Bible, maybe you're like me. All I have to do is that right there. Do that in your Bibles and go to chapter 15. And by doing that, you just went back in time 14 years. You see that? Let me do it again. Watch this. 14 years before Abraham was circumcised. Let's see what God says about Abraham 14 years before he was circumcised. Chapter 15, verse 6. It says, And Abraham believed in the Lord, and he, that is God, accounted it to him for righteousness. How was Abraham saved? Because of a circumcision? No, because he believed in God. 14 years before circumcision, Abraham was already a saved man. Why? Because he simply trusted in God. He simply had faith in God. As it says, Abraham believed God. That's how he was saved. Not through circumcision, but long before it. Not by doing a work, 
but because of his heart of faith toward God. That's what saved the man Abraham. Abraham wasn't saved for what he did. He was saved for what he had. And it was called faith. Amen. Faith. This was at the root of who Abraham was. Beneath the surface of what you saw, in the heart, there was faith in God. Beneath the surface. Do you have that? Do you have that root in your life? Do you have what we might call the beneath the surface faith? Is faith in your heart? Do you truly trust in God from your heart? Do you know the trials of life have a wonderful way of showing what's really in your heart. The trials of life will show whether you truly do have faith or not. When I was a boy, we used to go to Florida at least once a year to go see my grandparents. They were the custodians of a, of a hotel down in Ormond Beach. And so we would always go down. I was just a kid, but I remembered loving the beach, swimming, and, and all those things uh, that, that you do at a beach at a, and at a hotel. But I remember some of those nights, some of the, the storms that would come on the Atlantic Ocean there in Florida, they were scary sounding storms. All night long, you hear the wind, you hear the loud thunder, the crackling of the lightning, and you could hear the crashing of those waves coming in on the shore. But I got excited because I knew what that meant the next day. It meant that the next day, when everything was now calm, that ocean spit out all kinds of things from the beneath. Every shell, everything that a young boy loves to collect on the beach, it was all thrown out onto the shore because of the wind and all the stirrings of that water spit it all out. And I would go down and find the greatest seashells and rocks and maybe a shark tooth if you're lucky enough. But you know the trials of life and the storms and the hardships of life and all that churning it does in you, it will lift out of you what is in your heart. And I wonder, maybe for you parents, as you go through the storms of life, do your children look at you and say, wow, dad has really shown faith in the Lord through all this. Wow, look at mom. Look how patient she has been. Look how steadfast in prayer she has been for our children, or for her children. Do they see that in you or do they say, wow, Mom and dad are fighting again. Wow, mom is really mad today. Wow, dad has no patience today. What do your kids say about you parents? But what do people see in you? Because when the storm comes, it will show what is in your heart. And God will show you those things purposely by sending the storm in your life. When the storms come, what does it reveal that's inside of you? Is there faith or not? Is there trust or not? And I'll tell you this, all of you here today, how many of us are thankful, so thankful, that our mom was a faithful mom? We owe so much to our mothers, don't we? Amen. The root of faith, that's what Abraham had. Number two, we look at the mark of faith. Okay, so still, Abraham got circumcised in chapter 17. Okay, then, why? That's a good question. 
Why was he circumcised? Let's go back to the Bible. Romans chapter 4, verse 11. The first part of verse 11. It says that he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he already had while he was still uncircumcised. Why was he circumcised then? He already had faith, so then why? Because God used it as a sign and as a seal of the faith of Abraham. And God does the same thing for all of us today. First of all, let's consider the, the sign of faith that Abraham showed by listening to God. The sign of faith. The sign of faith is all about what Abraham did. God said, be circumcised. So he circumcised himself and his child and all the men. But that circumcision was just a sign that pointed to a wonderful truth about Abraham. The sign of circumcision pointed to the fact that Abraham believed God. Just like we mentioned many, many weeks ago, how I have a ring on my hand. This ring is just a sign. This ring is a sign that I love my wife. This ring is a sign that I belong to and I'm faithful to the one woman in my wife, my life, my wife. That's all this does. By looking at this ring, it doesn't mean that I'm faithful. No, that comes from the heart. But this is a sign that shows you what is in my heart, that I love and I honor and I'm faithful to my wife. This is the sign of my love. And so for Abraham, God gave him a sign of his faith, circumcision. But the sign in itself doesn't mean anything unless what you really have is true in your heart. I remember when my, when my kids were younger, we used to take the annual trip, sometimes twice a year, and as crazy as we were, three times in a year. We would get into the car and drive 15 hours south down the Florida to Disney World. And sometimes we would get the kids into the car and we wouldn't even tell them where we're going. They see the cars packed with suitcases. They're wearing their pajamas, just get in the cars, Get in the car, girls. And Rachel says, where are we going, Dad? Don't worry about it. We're just going to start driving. And we drive and we drive and we drive all through the night. And when the kids wake up 15 hours later, they see the sign that we finally have reached. On one side is Mickey Mouse. On the other side is Minnie Mouse. And it says, welcome to Walt Disney World. That's the sign. Now, what do you think? The kids get excited when they see that sign. But do you think that we pull over, we get out of the car and say, look, kids, there it is, the sign, yay. Let's all take a picture. Here's the sign and here we are. Done, okay, let's get back into the car and go home. No, that's not the way it works. Why are we so excited about that sign? Because it points to a reality that's just down the road. That sign points to the fact that Disney World is just one mile ahead. And all you got to do is just keep on driving and you will see the majestic Cinderella's castle. And then the kids are really excited. The sign in itself is nothing. It just points to something wonderful just ahead. This is what circumcision was for Abraham. Circumcision in itself was nothing. 
It pointed to the fact that Abraham believed God. Circumcision. Now, I know we don't talk about this very much, and I'll be very honest with you. I'm very uncomfortable when I even say the word circumcision. But I'm going to assume that most of you know what circumcision is. And so with that, especially you men, think about it for a moment. Circumcision. And think about this, the fact that Abraham said, okay, God, good idea, I'll circumcise myself. Whoa, wait a minute. I wonder if Abraham heard this command from God and then said, yeah, okay, okay, circumcision? What? You want me to do what? Maybe that's what Abraham thought. So the fact that Abraham actually did the procedure of circumcision what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that evidently, number one, Abraham believed God. It tells us, number two, evidently, Abraham knew that God was in charge and that God had authority over him. And it also tells us, number three, that Abraham evidently trusted in God and obeyed what God said. Nobody goes around doing a circumcision because it's fun. Abraham did it because God said to do it, and Abraham believed God and did what God said. That's an obedient faith. Now in Genesis, in that chapter 15 that we just read, it says that Abraham, he believed in the Lord. In the New Testament, when Paul quotes that, it says, Abraham believed God. But in Genesis, it says, and Abraham believed in the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah. And do you know that when we talk about Jesus, we just sang about Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. When you call Jesus Lord, you are confessing that he's the master. He's the one in charge. He has authority. And when he commands, you do. That's why I love so many times when a new person comes to Jesus and they give their testimony. I love it when they say this, I'm saved because of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, they don't have to say it exactly like that. They could just say, I'm saved because of Jesus. Amen. But have you ever heard that before? I'm saved because of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, why do they do that? Why do people want to make sure you know Jesus is my Lord and he is my Savior? It's because of this. As Savior, he saves us. As Lord, he commands us. My response to the Savior is trusting in him. My response to the Lord is obeying him. Do you remember that song we used to sing when we were kids? Trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That's what following the Lord is all about. Not just trusting, but obeying what he says. The sign in our life today, the sign which points to our faith in the Lord is simply obedience. How do you know Jesus is my Lord? Because I obey him. That's how. 
Jesus would tell his disciples, if you love me, obey my commandments. The whole world will know that you are my disciples when you love each other as I have commanded you. We are to trust in Jesus and we are to obey Jesus. That's faith. Do you know that if there's a lack of obedience between a Christian and the Lord, if a Christian lacks obedience, most likely it's because of one of two things. It's either because a lack of knowledge or it's because of a lack of faith. And so when we come to church together and when we have our connect groups with each other, we pray with each other. And every sermon I preach, I'm trying to encourage both things. I'm trying to give you knowledge from the scripture and help encourage you to have faith in what God says. But when a Christian is living in disobedience to a command of God, it's either because he lacks the knowledge or he lacks the faith. Lacking knowledge means I didn't know that Jesus commanded such a thing. I didn't know God wanted me to do this thing, okay? Well, let's help you with that knowledge. Let me give you an example. And this is something that's been on my heart for a while, and I didn't know how to bring it up to all of you, but I'm your pastor, and I want to help you with knowledge and faith. And the example I want to give to you is our tithe and offering. Now, I don't know personally what any of you do as far as giving a tithe or giving offering. I don't do that. I do know, however, overall, how our church has been doing with tithe and offering. And I can tell you that ever since the pandemic came, just as it came, tithe and offering dropped off a cliff and were almost non-existent at all. Now, as the pandemic is getting behind us more and more, and people are now back to church. We even have new people coming to church again, and so it's been wonderful, and yet, as people are coming back, the tithe and offering are still dropping. And I wonder why. And I believe it's possible. It's either a lack of knowledge or a lack of faith. So let me help you with both. Knowledge. Do you know the very first man to give a tithe in the Bible? The very first man to ever do it? Abraham. Abraham, he wanted to honor God. And so he took the wealth that he had and he gave a tenth. That's what a tithe is. It's a tenth, one tenth or 10% of his income. And he gave it to the high priest Melchizedek in honor of God. Abraham was the first man to do it. His grandson Jacob also did the same thing. He gave to God a tenth of his wealth. And you'll find that in the Old Testament, when God told Israel to build a tabernacle, a place where he would dwell, a place where they could come and worship him, a place where the, the ministers could come and minister to the people and give sacrifices and all these things, God left it up to the responsibility of the people to give the money that was needed to do such a thing, to build the tabernacle, to offer the sacrifices, to build the altar, to finance all the ministries of the servants of God. All that had happened, God said, you, the people, shall give into the house of God. And later on, when God had Solomon build the temple, the same exact thing. The wealth came from the people. A tithe is 10% of my income. 
which means at the beginning of the month or the end of the month, whatever it is, whatever my income is, the first thing I do is to honor God. And I take 10% and I give it to the church. When you give a tithe to the church, what does that do? Well, the tithe makes it possible for you to sit in a chair right now with lights on and with air conditioning running. Tithe also feeds you at the end of service because it pays for that food that we provide every week. Tithe provides all the Sunday school material that is used to teach your children down in Sunday school every week. That's what tithe does. And every ministry we want to plan, everything we want to do, it all takes finances. And so we take tithe and we begin ministries at Kotalama or ministries here and there, whatever else it is that we do. That's what tithe does. Now, offering is not the same as tithe. Offering is something that we give above and beyond tithe. What is offering for? Well, sometimes an offering is when you see that Pastor Paul in India is in need of money. When you give a tithe, that's for AOI. But an offering is to go wherever you want it to go. To Pastor Paul, fine. We gave an offering to Ukraine. And I know how faithful all of you are because we gave, I believe, almost $2,000 to Ukraine. That's a lot of money. That offering is a sacrifice. And you'll find that in the New Testament. When the church was growing and coming together, do you know what the people did? They were selling everything they owned and they brought all their money to the church in order to support all the ministries. Now, I'm not asking you to go sell your home I don't want you to go and come and bring us your vehicles. Right, Pastor Daniel? We don't want their vehicles. Right, okay. Just making sure. We're not asking you to do that. We're asking you to obey God's command in giving the tithe. Now, if God stirs up in your heart to give toward a special ministry or to the poor or to a missionary, that is time for offering. Something above and beyond the tithe. Now, is this important, this whole topic? Well, God says in the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, he says to the people, you have robbed me. And the people said, how did we rob you? He said, because you don't give your tithe. You rob God. What does that mean? It means that everything that you have comes from God. A hundred percent of what you earned in money, it all belongs to God. He's the one that gifted it to you. God is asking for a tenth to be brought back to his house. And I truly believe this. If somebody wants to withhold that money because they don't want to give it out or they don't think they can, trust me, God will bless you more with the 90% that you have than you can do for yourself with 100% of what you have. Because God's faithful. God's faithful. When the people in Philippi gave Paul an offering. Paul knew it was a lot of money. And Paul said to the church in Philippi, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God says in the same book of Malachi, after saying you have robbed me, he then says, test me in this. Test me. Give of your tithe and watch if I don't open the floodgates of heaven 
and pour out such a blessing upon your life, you won't be able to contain it. That's what God says. Now, why have offerings and tithing dropped? Maybe it's because you didn't know that God had this command. Or maybe it's because faith. There's a reason why tithes dropped during the pandemic. It's very human understanding. And I get it. When we suffer economically, we tend to save as much as we can and hold it close because we don't know what tomorrow holds. I understand that. But listen, if that has happened to you, it's not that the fear means you have no faith. But oftentimes, fear does mean your faith is in the wrong thing. So during a pandemic, when the economy is crashing, you don't know, there's a lot of uncertainty, and you keep and you, you hold on to everything you have, in that time, maybe your faith is in the money that you have. And if your faith is in money, then you should have a reason to be afraid because your money could be gone tomorrow. If your faith is in your job, you have a reason to be afraid because your job could be gone tomorrow. We all get that. But if your faith is in God, you know he is your provider. You know that everything you have comes out of his gracious, merciful hands. And God loves to bless abundantly beyond your imagination. And so, I'll leave that with you today. And I'm not hoping by next week we can get the trend back up again. I'm not even worried about that. I just want you to obey God. That's all I care about. What you do with that is up to you. Obey God. Through the sign of faith, we truly testify. We believe in God. When we obey God, it means we believe in God. But that circumcision wasn't just a sign of Abraham's faith. Through it, God also gave Abraham the seal of faith, the seal. While the sign was about what Abraham did, the seal is about what God does for us. As a seal, that circumcision testified that Abraham belonged to God. Not just believed in God, but belonged to God. Do you remember when I was a young boy, I remember going into my father's library in his church office, and maybe it's because I was small at the time, or maybe it was true, but all I can remember was he had at least two walls filled with bookshelves. I couldn't even reach the top of it. I don't even know if anybody could reach the top of it. I just remember there were books everywhere. He loved to read. He loved to study. And all day long in his office, that's what he did. He read and he studied and he prepared and he prayed. And I remember just going into his office and looking at all these books everywhere. And my dad, a generous man, he would talk about some of these books and he would say, you know what? You should probably read this book. Here, take this book and read it. Return it when you're done. It's fine. And my dad ended up giving out dozens of books, never to see them again. And so you know what my dad did with his books? He bought a seal, like a clamp, a metal clamp. And you put it onto a page and you clamp it together and it presses a seal into the page. It makes an impression onto the page. And so that if he gave out a book 
When somebody sees that seal, they know that book belongs to Pastor Flanagan. No matter where it goes, the book belongs to my dad. And I was just thinking about that yesterday, and I looked on my bookshelf, and I saw this commentary on Proverbs. And I just happened to open it up, and cameraman, can you, can you zoom in on this? You see that? That's the seal on the page. This is the library of Hugh C. Flanagan. You know what that means? This isn't my book. <laughs> it's on the other side of the earth from my father. But how do I know it belongs to him? Because he sealed it. And no matter where this goes, no matter whose hands it is in, no matter what bookshelf it is on, it belongs to my father. He sealed it for himself. And the Bible teaches us that God has sealed us. How? It says that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you hear that? Having believed in him, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That means no matter where you go, no matter where you are, no matter what's going on in your life, you belong to God. Why? Because you believe in him and God has sealed you. Every time we come together at church and we close our service, we always want to pray a prayer of blessing. Lord, bless you and keep you. Do you know that blessing comes from the Bible? It's from the book of Numbers. And God gave the command to the priests at the time, today, pastors. But he gave the command to the ministers to bless the people with those words. And God said to them, when you bless them, you shall put my name upon them. Every time we bless you, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. When we say those words, God says, my name is put on you. And when you leave this place, let it be known, you belong to God forever and ever. You are sealed by God. Through the seal of faith, we testify we belong to God. Through the sign of faith, our obedience, we believe in God. Through the seal of faith, what God does, we testify we belong to God. We believe we belong. I was going to share another verse with you, but I know we're running out of time. Let me do this quickly. Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What is it Jesus wants us to do? Shine the light. Which means let it be known to all people that you believe in God, that you trust in Him and obey. And it says that they may see your good works. So what's the light that we're showing to people? That we believe and belong to God. Jesus says it's in your good works. It's in the way you treat people. It's in the way that you love. It's in your generosity and in your kindness. The way you love one another 
When people see that, Jesus says they will glorify your Father in heaven. He doesn't say they will glorify God. That's true. He says specifically they will glorify your Father, the one to whom you belong. They will also know him, know his love, and they will glorify him. I was listening to a man give a testimony on Thanksgiving morning. He wanted to teach his kids generosity, not just to be thankful for what they have, but to learn to give. And so on one Thanksgiving morning in America, a very important day for families to get together and eat with each other, he took his kids to a small restaurant that was still opened on Thanksgiving morning. And he parked the car in such a way where the glass of the restaurant became like a, like a TV screen for them to watch what was happening in the restaurant. And the husband, the, the father, he got out of the car, he went inside, sat down, and a waitress came, a young woman came to him. And he said, any waitress, any young lady who is working at a small restaurant like that on Thanksgiving morning is apparently in need. Nobody works on Thanksgiving unless you are in need of money. And he thought to himself, this could be a single mom who's just trying to provide for her kids. So he ordered a cup of coffee, and the kids are watching from the car all this happening. The cup of coffee came, he took a sip of it, and when the waitress walked away, he took out $300 from his pocket, slid it under the cup, quietly got up, left, went back into the car. And when he shut the door, he just said to his kids, watch. And he said, sure enough, the waitress came and went to the coffee cup and pulled out the $300 bills, and the very first thing she did was look, look to the left and to the right. Like, where'd this come from? And then she put it against her chest. She looked up, and all the kids saw her say, thank you. Thank you. And the man said to his kids, that woman may not even be a believer. She may not even know Jesus. But when someone is generous in the way that we've been, they know. They know someone is watching over them. They know someone is providing. They know somebody loves them. Let your light shine that people will see those good works in you and they will say thank you to the Father in heaven. Last, number three, the way of faith. We've talked about the root of faith, the mark of faith, last, the way of faith. He says in verse 11, that Abraham, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. In other words, Abraham is a father to all who believe, a spiritual father. Why? Because just like Abraham, who simply believed in God, without being circumcised, he believed in God and he was saved. In the same way, all the people of the world, all the Gentiles who know nothing about circumcision, if they just follow the example of their father Abraham, they will be saved too. Abraham becomes a father to all the uncircumcised people of the world because he shows us it's by trusting, not by doing. And then Paul says the last verse, and he's also the father of circumcision. 
the Jewish people, to those who not only are of circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith, which Abraham had before he was circumcised. In other words, Abraham is also a father to all the Jews, all of them, if what they have is true faith in the heart. Regardless of circumcision or uncircumcision, if the Jewish person has faith in his heart, Abraham is a father to that person. Why? Because they're following in the footsteps of that saving faith of Abraham. Contrary to what many Jews believed, it wasn't the Gentiles who needed to become more like the Jews. Actually, it's the Jews who needed to be more like the Gentiles in that they just simply needed to trust in God. Saved by faith. Justified freely by the grace of God. Not through our works, but by faith alone. Amen. Amen? Amen. Do you have that way of faith in you as well? As the musicians are coming up, let me close with just this one example from the scriptures. I was going to have you read it, but let me just explain it. Do you remember the man Zacchaeus? A Jewish man, a tax collector, the kind of man that everyone hated because not only was he rich because he knew how to cheat people out of their money, but what made it worse was that he was a Jewish man, a circumcised man who was working for the Roman government and betraying his own people to cheat them out of their money. Many people hated Zacchaeus. But one day Zacchaeus met Jesus. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus, I want to come to your house today. And the Bible says that Zacchaeus received him with joy. Welcomed him with joy. And once Jesus got to the house, Zacchaeus believed in him and then said, Lord, Lord, I'm going to start giving half of my wealth to the poor. And everybody that I have cheated in life, I'm going to pay them back four times over. Wow. What happened to that man? He was changed. How? Because he was circumcised? No. Because he was Jewish man? No. Because he received Jesus joyfully and believed in him. And immediately a change began to happen. Obedience began to flow. And he called Jesus Lord, the one who rules over me. Do you know what Jesus said of him? You are a saved man, and you are truly a son of Abraham. Not because you're Jewish, not because you're circumcised, but because you have that true faith in me. You're a true son of Abraham. Amen. Let's all stand together. And as we sing a song in just a moment, as we all sing together, just begin to ask yourself the question, does that faith we just talked about with Abraham, does that also describe my faith today? Do I say I trust in God, but yet I know I am not obeying God? Or do you trust and obey? You examine your own heart today as we sing a song together.